Hey, good afternoon and welcome to SWAT Radio. This is Doug McCary of His Light Ministries. It is Thursday, January 14th, 2021. And uh, we really want to say thank you to all our listeners out there in Virginia, Mississippi, Florida, and Georgia who are listening today. Today you're in for a treat because uh, I'm real excited to have a guy who's had a a huge impact on my understanding of some of the early... uh, American fathers that we have, people that founded this country. Uh, not only me, Taylor Johnson, who sits in here with me normally, um, he's had, he said it had a huge impact on him. In fact, his book on the Jefferson lies really, he said, was good and impacted him a lot. So uh, we're happy to have uh, with us today Dave Barton from Wall Builders. We had his uh, son on uh, a couple of years ago, and we invited Dave to come on today to talk about everything happening and to talk about uh, our founders. And And there's even more. Uh, I got a video link um, from uh, one of his assistants out there to a message he recently gave that really just uh, resonated with me, and I, we'll talk about that today. But Dave, welcome to SWAT Radio. How are you? Hey, bro. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, Dave, I, I want you to know that I lived in Texas for 10 years, so I do have my Texas passport, uh, so uh, you can rest assured you're in good hands here, okay? Well, I, you know, being the arrogant Texan that I am, as all Texans are, we send our missionaries everywhere, so we appreciate you going into foreign fields like that. <laughs> well, really, thank you for being on here today, and Dave, thank you for the your work with wall builders and even going back to some of the early things you did. Uh, I remember the, the, the first video I think I ever saw or first thing that ever impacted me was America's godly heritage. Um, and you, I mean, you were really young back when you did <laughs> some of those things It was a long time ago. Uh, but my older well, kid that was so far back, it was yeah. that's so far long, so far back that that was on VHS, which probably a whole generation of folks have no clue what VHS is. So well, it, but but thank you for that effort because I know it took a lot of research and time, not only just to research it, but to put it together. And um, you know, I know in light of our culture today, there's not as much probably appreciation for for that. Uh, I mean, I know I just just for fun I went on you know, um, Google and just put what the world put about David Barton out there. And I see some of the things that they've spread about you, which is uh, a lot, you know, there's things that aren't true on there. They call you uh, uh, a political activist. They try to dismiss you as a historian, but I don't know anybody who's probably contributed as much to the Christian perspective of history of our country than you have and i really appreciate that um so thank you and uh, today as we look at what's going on in our country you know one of the things a lot of people are asking is what do we do as christians how do we respond and i thought what you shared at a church i don't know exactly when you did that uh, she sent me you were sharing and you were talking about running to the roar charging the castle um and, and, you know, you talked about areas of harmful thinking that I want to get into today. But before we go down that road, could you just take give 
people the elevator speech for wall builders real quick what what wall builders is is a ministry yeah wall uh, wall builders actually uh we have nothing to do with the southern border and the erection of the wall of the southern border <laughs> so that's not what we do uh, it's interesting that for so many today, they do not know what wall builders represents out of the Bible. It's the book of Nehemiah. It's a grassroots effort. It's rebuilding things that have been torn down. Uh, there's 195 Christian colleges and universities in America today. Well, there's more than that, but there's about 195 in a group. And talking to the um, to the presidents of those universities, they said that, that right now young people coming out of church who have been raised in church, they don't know the difference between Noah and Abraham and Moses. So our biblical literacy is the lowest that it's ever been in, in recorded American history. And, and so that's why Wall Builders today it seems like a strange name. But it does go back to the Bible book of Nehemiah when people gathered together and they rebuilt their local areas, and that's what rebuilt the nation. So we like that picture of rebuilding. We like that pr- picture of grassroots involvement. Uh, part of what happened with, with Nehemiah was in restoring the, the, the city there. They rebuilt what they called the Hall of Heroes. In other words, they went back and, and said, hey, let's recover some of our history. Let's remember some of the things we used to be and who we were and what our heroes were. And that's a lot of what we do. We, we kind of call it historical reclamation. From a biblical standpoint, it's like what happened with, with the, the King Josiah. Uh, he was trying to get the nation back to God, which is a great objective. I'm glad he was doing that. And in the midst of doing something really good, they found a bunch of old scrolls. And when they read those old scrolls, they were shocked, and it led to a national revival because they were not aware of who they had been in the past and, and what they could be today. So that's a lot of what we do. We own about 120,000 documents from before 1812, so all the way back to the time of Columbus, coming all the way forward to, to World War One, World War Two, the space race, uh, virtually any area we have the original documentation for so much of what went on then. And that's what we do is, is bring back things that we just don't know today or that we don't recall or that we never learned. Well, and, you know, I'll tell you one thing that is really concerning to me as both a military guy who was – when I went through the military, one of the ways they trained us to learn how to fight is they shared battles from the past. They talked about history so yeah. we could learn. And now yeah. we are seeing our culture in the school systems completely erase history or rewrite history, um, and you have a generation growing up that they don't even know who the first presidents were. They don't know uh, about our founding fathers, and that's why your resources, I believe, are very important. So I want to give that website one more time. It's wallbuilders.com, W-A-L-L-B-U-I-L-D-E-R-S.com. But could you just speak to that just for a second? Why history and you having those documents that actually – give us insight into those early years are so important for us today. Yeah, there's there's a couple things I would probably touch on here. We do a lot of national polling work as well, work with a lot of national pollsters like George Barna, et cetera. And, and we just recently finished a poll where we polled state legislators to see what they knew. And it's interesting that that's the first poll of legislators been done probably in 50 years uh, to any degree of, of civic knowledge. And so what we find is that right now in America, we don't know our own government. We don't know who we are, what we are. Uh, A few examples, um, right now only 24% of the nation can list the three branches of government. And right now 48% of elected officials cannot list the three branches of government. So if you don't even know the three branches of government, you don't know how it operates, what checks and balances are, what separation powers are, what enumerated powers, all the things that used to make us a great limited government are, are gone. 
Um, only one out of a thousand Americans can name the freedoms in the First Amendment. You can't protect what you don't know you, that you have, so only one out of a thousand knows what those freedoms are. Uh, we don't know our history very well. If you come to America as an immigrant, I don't know, you were raised in the South Pole and you didn't even know America existed. You got here and said, I like this, I want to live here. You go through immigration, uh, you go through all the procedural immigration, and then you take an immigration test at the end. It's 100 questions, and it is considered the minimum knowledge that you need to know if you're going to be a citizen here. And the average immigrant scores 92 on that test. They started giving that test to high school seniors who have lived their entire life here. They didn't come here three months ago. They've lived their whole life here. And they average only 7% of high school seniors can pass the immigration test. So we have no knowledge of who we are as a people. Uh, we have gone in, in, in crazy directions. Even something like Columbus, we've been tearing down Columbus statues for about seven years. And we're told that he's the first sex trafficker. He was big into slavery and in genocide and enslavement, et cetera. And question that's worth asking is, okay, there are 600 statues been erected to Columbus in the last 500 years. Name anyone else who has 600 statues. Nobody. So are we saying that every single generation before this generation tolerated sex, sex trafficking, tolerated slavery, tolerated – they all celebrated that, and we're the first one to finally get our heads on straight? No, that doesn't make sense because we had an entire civil war wanting to end slavery and free people and equality, and we've had too much in the history uh, a past of standing against this stuff, sex trafficking back in the 1700s. We fought violently so or vehemently. So it doesn't make sense that we're the first generation to have these values. What happens is we no longer know who Columbus is. And so the narrative of him as the first sex trafficker, absolutely 150% false. Uh, the same with him being into genocide. The only genocide he conducted was of the cannibals who slaughtered his men and the native friends, native tribes he was friend with. He had great relations with native tribes like the Taino. He had terrible relations with the tribes known as the Cannons, where we get the word cannibal, because mm -hmm. they kept eating his men and eating his friends. And so he wiped them out. And if you want to call that a genocide, that's <laughs> like wiping out ISIS. Nobody is, is condemning us for wiping out ISIS. So that, those are just examples of how little we know today, uh, and even older generations nearly know nothing about Columbus anymore. Since about 1920, we have really stopped teaching who we are as a people. Well, you know, I was uh, I was just reading about Columbus uh, yesterday about how prior to 1995, everything it may have been uh, a little sooner than that. I think it was around the early 90s uh, that most of the stuff that was written portrayed him in a positive light. And it's only in the right. last 30 years that it's really been negative about him. And that's just been because of revisionist history. And when we come back from this break, I would love for you to share what's going on. And uh, we got to go to our first uh, break. Uh, when we come back, talk to us a little bit about what's going on in Minnesota. Uh, I believe it's Minnesota you mentioned in your uh, that message. And talk about why we should be concerned on local levels about that, okay? Uh, we'll be right back. Hey, we're, you're listening to David Barton on SWAT Radio. We, uh, we will be back after this first break. And uh, call your friends. Tell them to jump on and listen. If you can't hear us on 91.7 here in Jacksonville or 91.9 St. Augustine, you can go to SWATradio.com, and they can stream it live. We'll be right back after this break on SWAT Radio. If you'd like to contact SWAT Radio, the toll-free number is 1-844-777-7928. That's 844-777-7928. 
or 844-777-SWAT. You can also listen to this program through the WTRJ The Truth app from the App Store or over the Internet by accessing www.swatradio.com. We'll be back shortly for further discussion and to take your calls. Highway to Eternity Ministries is a ministry dedicated to encouraging those who have lost hope and coming alongside those who cannot find peace and are considered unfit for inclusion in Christ's church. They use published works to teach God's Word and share encouraging testimonies of transformed lives. Highway to Eternity Ministries serves as a parachurch ministry that comes alongside churches to share its passion and commitment through spiritual writings, nuances, and experiences to everyone who has an interest in the teachings of Jesus Christ. For more information, contact Jeff Andrews at 904-436-5175. They say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. And right now, right now I'm losing bad. Stood on this stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be alright. Hey, there we are. Sorry about that, uh, Dave. We're back on air. Uh, it's uh, Doug McCary, His Light Ministries with SWAT Radio. Uh, sorry, we had a little technical glitch there, but we have David Barton from Wall Builders. And uh, prior to going to the break, uh, Dave was, uh, we were talking a little bit about revisionist history and things happening. And there's something pretty alarming. It's probably happening maybe in your neighborhood, maybe in your area. Uh, what's going on in Minnesota. I was alarmed to hear what you said. Uh, Talk a little bit about how the school systems, because I know you've consulted with California and Texas on their their school textbooks and stuff for history and social studies. What is happening in Minnesota, and why should we be concerned about that as Christians? Yeah, what's and kind of by way of background, for a number of years I've been uh, appointed by state boards of education and legislatures and governors to do social studies and history standards in, in various states. And you mentioned two, California and Texas, and then you got Kentucky and you got Georgia and you got Oklahoma and you got Ohio and whatever. And so all these different states. And so I see what's in textbooks, and then I'm, I'm asked to help a lot of times with with textbooks that are used in schools. And so the way we view our past affects who we are in the future. Um, and, and what we're seeing right now is, is dramatic removal of who we were in the past. And I'll just give, give some examples to kind of set up to where we've arrived. And, and the example I like to use a lot of times is saying, look, if, we, if I was reviewing a textbook or if anybody was reviewing a history textbook and it said Abraham Lincoln dropped a nuclear weapon on Thailand to end World War VIII, we would all laugh and say that is stupid because we know Abraham Lincoln didn't do that. We know there's not been a World War Eight. We know there was no nuclear weapons at the time of Abraham Lincoln. We haven't had a war with Thailand. So all, all of that, well, we laugh at that because we know our history. But if you knew nothing about who Abraham Lincoln was, if you knew nothing about military history, if you knew nothing about strategic development of nuclear weapons, you wouldn't laugh at that and say, really, I've, I've never heard that before. That That's interesting. And so what happens is you can only change your history once you've not taught it for a while. 
And starting about 30 years ago, we started going silent on our history and actually going negative on our history. Um, in the 1980s, a work came out by Howard Zinn that said America has done more evil than she's ever done good. And he pointed at every war in our nose, even made some up that we didn't have. And every nation's got warts, but we just have less in our nose than most nations do. Uh, then in 2014, the AP U.S. History Standards came out, and that's used by by the top history kids in the nation, all 50 states. Uh, 460,000 kids a year go through that. And when you got to World War II, there's 162 pages of standards. When you got to World War II, it did not mention Hitler, did not mention the Japanese, did not mention the Holocaust, did not mention the Nazis, did not mention D-Day, did not mention Battle of the Bulge or Iwo Jima or Pearl Harbor, whatever. All it said was that America dropped an atomic weapon on Japan, raising questions about American values. Wow. So in 2014, if you went through the American history standards, World War II, America is the bad guy in World War II. No, not if you know history, but if you don't know history. And the other relevant example to kind of set up Minnesota where we are now is when you look at uh, where we are on form of government and what kind of government people support and what kind of economic system, we know that right now 75% of students in college support socialism, 69% of millennials support socialism, and 42% of all Americans support socialism. Now, if you knew anything about history, you know that there's not a single example in 5,800 years of recorded history where that a socialist nation has preserved individual liberty and maintained prosperity. It has not existed, but we don't know that. And so one of my friends mentioned Barna. Barna did polling on that and said, okay, I'm going to go back to the 42% of Americans that say that they want socialism, and let's ask some questions. So he asked an additional 47 questions, and they were questions like, do you support greater government regulation of business? Do you support greater government ownership of private property? All the things that socialism is. He went through and at the end, only 2% of Americans supported socialism, but they didn't know what it was. And so when asked to define socialism, the top two answers of what socialism is, one is being social, and the other was sharing. Oh, my well, gosh. I'm not opposed to sharing or being social, so I must be a socialist because I, I like sharing. I, I think we should be social. See, that's how lousy our education is now. We're willing to change our entire economic system. And right now, there's a big move among young people for communism because they think communism will be more fair. They have no clue that that's the most violent form of government in recorded history that just last century, 100 million people were killed by government, communist government. They don't, they don't know that. They've never been taught it. So that brings us to where we are right now. Um, we, we operate, we have a legislative network. And there's about 1,000 legislators across the nation part of our network. Uh, pro-family legislative network, and, and so conservative, pro-family, God-fearing kind of legislators. And so as of this morning, we've got calls from four different states because they're all revising history standards in those states. And so last week, we got a contact from a legislator in Minnesota who says, look, in Minnesota, every 10 years we revise our history standards, see if there's things we should add in, whatever. And he said what they're proposing in Minnesota history right now is that in the new standards, we completely remove the American Revolution and the Civil War and World War One and World War Two and the Holocaust, that we take all of that out. Oh, my gosh, America is gutted. We have no form of government. We have no concept of civil rights. We have no concept of the struggles people went through. We, we, we have no concept of any of those things. All of that is what they're proposing to remove. And this is in line with what they call the 1619 Project that came out in, in 2019 and got a Nobel, uh, got a Pulitzer Prize, and this is the new curriculum. And it says they're reframing America's history so that everything is centered around racism. 
So they call it 1619 because they said that's where slavery got introduced into America, and they say everything that's happened in America since 1619 is related to slavery. Uh, they say, for example, you cannot – sugar is a racist object because sugar plantations, that's where slaves worked. And so the whole reason for having sugar was slaves, and, and right now the NBA has owners. Well, that's slavery because you have owners owning other people. And, every, and I mean the curriculum, if you've been through other curriculum, you say, oh, it's crazy. But if you've never been through any other history curriculum, you're saying, oh, this is bad. Well, we don't want this kind of racism. We need to get rid of NBA owners, and we need to stop using sugar and and it's just absolutely crazy. So what's happening is we're seeing curriculum right now today. In the last week, these four states have come to us, and these are the kind of standards that we're looking at across the nation. And this only works if you've not been teaching history for the last 20 to 30 years, which we've not been. And so now here's the next step in the progression. Well, uh, you know, I'm just sitting there listening to you, and I'm thinking, like in light of the 1619 Project and, and some of the tearing down of the statues and all the stuff that's been going on and people uh, are, are struggling. I mean, good people are struggling because they haven't really been taught history. They don't know history uh, or what they do know is revisionist. And a question that comes up a lot is how did the founding fathers reconcile slavery with their Christian faith? Because the narrative out there is that, that they're evil men. And that's why we tear down these things, because they own slaves. Could you speak a little bit about that, just from your research and, and what you've studied and found out? Yeah, if you look at slavery, it's interesting. Um, there is no nation in the world, no race in the world, and no ethnicity in the world that has not, number one, been enslaved, and number two, enslaved others. So slavery is not white on black. It has been white on black, but it's also black on black. It's also red on black. It's brown on red. It's every every conceivable. That's part of history. It's interesting that America is the first region in the history of the world to abolish slavery. In 1804, every northern state abolished slavery. Now, southern states didn't. We didn't get that done until 1865. But just from perspective, nobody in the world started abolishing slavery before America did. And it goes back to the Founding Fathers. When they wrote the Declaration of Independence, one of the things they pointed out in the Declaration, one of the grievances was – and let me give some background history here. In 1773, a number of American colonies started abolishing slave trade. You had, uh, you had Rhode Island. You had Connecticut. You had Massachusetts. You had Pennsylvania. In 1774, King George III, we were British colonies, and we had a British government, and the king was our king. He vetoed every anti-slavery law in America. He said, no, 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 you guys are part of the British Empire. As long as you're part of the British Empire, you're going to have slavery. That's when a number of founding fathers said, great, let's not be part of the British Empire anymore. And so a number of founding fathers, even at that point, started abolition societies in America. Benjamin Russ signed the Declaration. Ben Franklin signed the Declaration and led that abolition society. So uh, you have all these founding fathers who start with this anti-slavery stuff before any other area in the world was doing it. America became the first nation in the world to ban the slave trade, 1807. No nation did it before America. Then starting in 1819, the U.S. government actually put a naval squadron off the coast of Africa to prevent ships from getting into Africa and taking slaves out of Africa. We were so serious about stopping slavery, we interdicted other nation ships to stop them. The British helped us, by the way, on that. 
the British were the first nation in the world to abolish slavery. No nation in the world abolished slavery before 1833. America was the fourth nation in 1865. There were 128 nations back then. We're number four in the world. Now, the northern guys did it by 1804. The southern guys finally got on board 1865. All of this to say, you may not like slavery, and nobody does, but to think that it is an ancient anti that, that the anti-slavery movement is an ancient movement is not. It's a relatively young movement. It goes back to the early 1800s, and nobody got there before America did. And of our founding fathers, we've documented nearly three-fourths of these guys were anti-slavery. They freed slaves. They led abolition societies. They passed abolition laws. Nobody got there before America did. So as I mentioned earlier, everybody's got warts in their nose, but we have less than any other nation. So to condemn America, and here's the other thing we find interesting, is we know about the global slave trade from 1501 through 1875. In that period of time, there were 12.7 million Africans taken involuntarily out of Africa and sold into slavery. And if you look at where they, we know where they went, because we know what the slave ships are, we know their cargoes, all that record still exists. Uh, the Global Slavery Index is an international group, international organization that has all the documentation. And what you find is if you ask American students today, every one of those slaves came to America. Time out. Let's back up. 43% of all slaves carried out of Africa went to Portugal and Brazil. 24% went to Great Britain, 15% to Spain, 11% to France. You work your way through it, America had 2.5% of the slaves carried out of Africa. We were one of the least offending nations in the world. Now, we took 2.5%, shouldn't have, but instead of having 5.8 million like Portugal, we had 305,000. That's a real difference. So we're not the world leader in slavery. As a matter of fact, not only were we the world leader in helping end it, even today, of the 193 nations in the world today, there are still 94 nations, as we're talking right now, who have not yet banned slavery. Slavery is still legal in 94 nations, and as we're talking, there are 40 million people in the world enslaved today. 9.2 million in Africa, 1 million in China, etc. There's more. There's three times more enslaved today than we had in 300, 400 years of the African slave trade. So everybody's focused on America and how terrible we are and how racist we are. And yeah, we had problems, but we got out of it before any other nation. We led the way. Other nations followed us. And by the way, the the father of Black History, Carter Woods, and Black History Month. We all know that. Hey, hey, hold, hey, uh, David. We got a break for the news on the half hour. Uh, I want to come back and hear about that, Carter Woodson. You're listening to SWAT Radio. We're going to be right back with Dave Barton to hear more uh, from wall builders and uh, more about our country and uh, things in the past that are relevant and important. You're listening to SWAT Radio. We'll be right back. This is Doug McCary. Welcome back to SWAT Radio. Thank you for listening. Uh, I want to give a thanks to our sponsors, uh, Tom Neal Trucking. Thank you so much uh, for sponsoring us. And uh, if you have any trucking needs, you can go out there and, and see them. And also Ace Door and Window. Appreciate Gary Hale and his crew over there so much for helping us 
put these programs on and uh, and uh, Jeff Andrews from Highway to Eternity Ministries. Um, Jeff has a great story, and uh, you can check out Highway to Eternity Ministries. And also he uh, he has a great story of how God's redeemed his life, and so appreciate him sponsoring us. And uh, if you want to listen to this which or share this with a friend, you can go to www.swatradio.com. Click on past shows or past programs, I mean, and you go there and you can share the link with your friends. I think it would be good. And uh, we're with David Barton today from Wall Builders. And by the way, their website is wallbuilders, W-A-L-L-B-U-I-L-D-E-R-S.com. And that's from Nehemiah. Um, it's not that he's working on the, the wall out there in Texas, like he said. But David, uh, welcome back. And uh, you were talking, I think, about Carter Woodson, who, if I remember right, is like a historian or something, like an African-American historian. Yes, we were talking how slavery really is not unique in the world. What's unique is ending slavery, and that America was a world leader in doing that. Uh, there were so many firsts we had before any other nation and so the whole anti-slavery movement, really, to speak of, is about 200 years old. It's not that old a movement, and it still hasn't. There's still like half the world, half the nations of the world today haven't banned slavery yet. So it's still not even where it needs to be. But having said that, people think it is the way we teach it in America is that America is the only nation that was doing slaves, and we were one of the lesser nations. And we don't ever cover that we're the, the leaders in ending it. But aside from that. We always think it's white on black. And so Carter Woodson, who's called the father of black history, Black History Month, etc., uh, he did a piece in 1930 looking back at the 1830 census. So he was backed up to 100 years. And he said, according to the 1830 census, that of the free blacks in states like South Carolina, he said 43% of free blacks own black slaves in South Carolina. 40% of free blacks in Georgia own black slaves, 26% in Louisiana, et cetera. So black-on-black slavery was very prevalent. So actually, if anybody wants to talk reparations, the question becomes uh, who are you talking about paying? Because if you add into that, the 1860 census of the United States, the highest percentage of slave on the highest percentage of uh, owners owning black slaves were Native Americans. The five largest Native American tribes, 12% of the tribes were black slaves. Mm. Only 8% of, of whites owned, America, uh, owned black slaves. So, I mean, there's just so many others that are not even talked about today because if we're going to say racism is a sin, then you've got to acknowledge if it's a sin, it applies to all people. You, you don't have Irish sins and British sins and left-handed sins and blonde sins. If it's a sin, it's something everybody is guilty of. And so if racism is a sin, it's not a white-on-black thing. Now, in America, there was more white-on-black than anything else, but it always exists everywhere else, including white slavery. matter of fact, the Republican Party was founded in May of 1854, and their original platform, seven of the nine planks, were about ending slavery, equality, etc. And part of the things the Republicans are fighting against were both white and black slavery. We have photographs of white and black slavery at the time of the Civil War. We have photographs of freed slaves who were both white and black. As a matter of fact, if you back up in the 16th century, there were more white slaves in the old world than there were black slaves in the new world. And if you even go to another level, Muslims were enslaving anyone who wasn't of their faith, wasn't of their religion. And in the founding era, they took 1.25 million slaves that were non-Muslims, including thousands of white Americans who were captured and carried as slaves to the Middle East. So, you know, the, the, the thing we get today, we get so little of what actually happened 
and it's designed for political ends to get us really upset about our country so we can have a fundamental change. And, you know, Doug, you mentioned statues, tearing statues down. We were told there's all these Confederate statues and all these racists coming down. And if that's the case, then I would start saying, well, then why did you tear down David Farragut? And why did you tear down Caesar Rodney? Now, most folks aren't going to recognize these names, but these are big anti-slavery people. That is Cusco, and these are all statues. We even tore down the statue of all statues. We tore down Frederick Douglass, who's a great civil rights leader, black civil rights leader. But we don't know our history enough, so if there's a statue, they must have been a racist. Now three, I guess it's six statues of Abraham Lincoln have come down now. Lincoln's a great emancipator, but we're tearing his statue down. So we just don't know our history anymore, and because of that, we can be led in all sorts of directions, and that's what we're starting to see in the nation right now, which is why we have to pay attention to our local schools. Yeah, we we, we do. And uh, speaking of that, I, w- I want to ask you this question, and then I want to go into the whole thing you shared about revival. But um, just thinking about our country, I've been asked this a lot in the last, well, since last Wednesday, especially in light of everything that uh, happened when, as believers, we see our government start to become um, immoral and begin to uh, be oppressive, maybe tyrannical, um, I've been asked a lot, uh, when is it okay for believers that live in a free country to take action? Um, because the founding fathers struggle with it. They deliberated it for a long time on it before they actually took action. And based on your reading of their writings and their things, how, how do you think they would respond right now? I know that's a little bit of a hypothetical because you can't really know, but, but you do get some insight into what pushed them to finally respond when they dealt with tyranny there with King George. So how, 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 when is that point where you do something, you know? You know, that's a great question, and Founding Fathers debated that. And, and by the way, just as we're told that the Founding Fathers were a bunch of racists, which is not true, as I mentioned, about three out of four were were dedicated anti-slavery, um, what we also hear is that, well, they're a bunch of atheists, agnostics, and deists. No, of the Signers of Declaration 29 held what we call seminary or Bible school degrees, uh, way beyond those who went to seminary and Bible school were professing Christians. I don't know of a single one of the signers of the Declaration was not professing Christian. Uh, among all founding fathers, 250, uh, there might be 10 I know of that weren't Christian. So we're talking really in the vicinity of 98, 99% would be professing Christian. And their belief was you need to read through the scriptures about once a year. And so they did that sometimes more often, sometimes less. But right now, in America, only 9% of Christians of Christians read the Bible on a daily basis. So they read the Bible much more than we did. And so when this thing started in Great Britain, they were really conscious of Romans 13 and 1 Peter and other passages where it talks about uh, submitting the government. Now, the Bible also talks about civil disobedience. We know that because we know the hidden Hebrew midwives disobeyed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, kill all the Hebrew babies. No, nah, I don't think we'll do that. So they disobeyed. We know that Moses disobeyed uh, Pharaoh. We we know that Daniel disobeyed Nebuchadnezzar. We have so many examples in the Bible of civil, civil disobedience. The apostle disobeyed the civil authorities in Rome. So, so many examples. The question becomes, when is it biblically correct to be able to say no? And when is it biblically correct to be able to defend yourself and, and with the use of arms? 
And so that's something that they went through. And being theologically trained, so many of them, there's so many writings about that. We actually have a piece on wallbuilders.com about were the founding fathers, uh, did they were they in rebellion to God when they did the revolution? And so it goes to their writings. One of the books that John Adams carried in his saddlebags is a book called A Defense of Liberty Against Tyrants by Junius Brutus. This was a book that was written back in 1680. It was written by a theologian because back at the time you had 110,000 Christians killed by the government simply because they were attending the wrong church. And so the question arose at that time, should we resist government? They've killed 110,000 Christians simply because they're going to the wrong church. Should should we do anything, or do we just submit to government? And so that was a debate they had back then. And and then you have the, I think it's 1645 book, Samuel Rutherford. Uh, The same thing was going with Great Britain, where the Crown was killing Christians who went to the wrong church. And so Lex Rex is the name of that book. And, And so the Founding Fathers read theological works like crazy to see how do we handle this. Uh, we're, we're at the point that we may have to do something, and when is, where's the line, and how do you know when you cross it? Now, I don't think many Christians today have spent that much time dealing with these issues, but they did. And, and we've taken put a lot of their writings up online. Uh, there were sermons preached about this in 1750. The Reverend Jonathan May, who, who was a great preacher in the First Great Awakening, um, he has uh, a sermon on this. It actually led to the motto of the American Revolution. It says the defense, uh, that, that, that one says resistance to tyrants is obedience to God. So when do you say no to government and yes to God? And, and it was tough. And when it came to the first shots fired at Lexington and Concord, uh, the reason so many Americans hit the ground that day, um, that morning, was that their pastor said, look, God will not let you start something. You can't fire a shot. Now, if they fire at you, God gives you the right of self-defense, and here's all the Bible verses. So if they start it, you can shoot back, but you cannot start anything. And so that's why 700 British got the first shot at, at 70 Americans, 18 Americans hit the ground. The next battle, we fired back because we had been fired upon. So there were all sorts of biblical standards that they erected back then that we really would do good to know today. Uh, there is a place for civil disobedience. The Bible says there's a place. So many of the heroes we have in Hebrews 11 were guilty of civil disobedience, if you can call it guilty. Um, this is where we had the concept of juries, the way we do it under the Sixth and the Eighth Amendment, because juries were there for civil disobedience. They would stand up to bad laws. Um, when when William Penn was was found guilty of attending the wrong church, the jury refused to convict him, refused to put him in prison, refused to do all the stuff the law said because they said that's a bad law. Law shouldn't be telling you what church to go to. So that's why we had juries. We don't do that anymore today, but that was the original purpose of juries was make sure you're not following an unjust law, and this is where you have to commit civil disobedience and strike down laws to the juries. Mm-hmm. So all that to say, there's a ton of writing on this, Doug. It's a difficult question for us today. Again, we have a lot of this covered at Wall Builders. You can at least see it theologically how it was covered in previous generations and what they did and where the line was to cross. I don't think most Christians today are aware of where the lines are biblically on what lines we should cross and at what point we need to resist and at what point we just do civil disobedience. Well, um, when we come back, uh, well, before I get, say that, uh, you can go to wallbuilders.com for those resources, and I highly encourage you to do that. And, David, when we come back, we'll only have about 13 minutes left in the program. I would love for you to give hope to people. Talk about revival, the two areas of harmful thinking that you talked about, and how we can hit the ground doing something where we are. Okay? 
That sounds good. Yeah, we're going to be back with uh, David Barton from Wall Builders in just a minute on SWAT Radio. of men each week. If you'd like to learn how you can support this unique program that is helping men understand the truth about Jesus through God's Word and how to impact their lives and the lives of others, then go to www.swatradio.com. Then click on the donate link to help SWAT Radio pass on the truth for the next generation. We're so grateful for having people like Tom Neal Truck Company sponsoring SWAT Radio. Tom Neal Truck Company is located at 417 Edgewood Avenue South in Jacksonville, Florida. Tom Neal is a full-service franchise truck dealer for Freightliner, Western Star, Volvo, Isuzu, and Sprinter vans offering new and used truck sales, service, parts, and truck rental, and leasing to the North Florida and South Georgia truck market. More information on Tom Neal Truck Company is located at www.tomneal.com. That's www.tomnehl.com. I push, I pull, go back and forth, finding myself. Pounding on a locked door, I try to make it out alone without your help. But I know I never win this war. I can never be, never be free without Hey, this is Doug McCary. Welcome back to SWAT Radio. And I'm on with David Barton today from Wall Builders. That website, again, is wallbuilders.com. It's a great resource. And, Dave, we we got about 13 minutes left. And I don't want to – I want to let you talk for pretty much most of the time about revival, specifically the two areas of harmful thinking in our country um, and and sharing about the Great Awakening and how we can make a difference to try to encourage our listeners to not just sit back and think they can't do anything. So take it away. Yeah, where we are right now, we see what's in the news, even the stuff I've covered on how bad education's become. And and by the way, let me just make you more depressed while I'm at it. Uh, (laughs) America used to be the number one nation in the world in literacy. We had the highest literacy rate in the world. We fell to number 68 in the world. There's only 23 industrial nations. We're at third world level on reading comprehension. Um, Actually, we've risen back to 43 now. And for the last for the last 15 years, 19% of all high school graduates are 100% illiterate. They cannot read at all. So we still have massive illiteracy problems. So our education system is not good. And so there's all sorts of things to be depressed over and, and, and whatnot. But it's interesting. This is why a lot of people think we need a revival. They, they see what's going on morally, spiritually, politically, educationally, see all these areas we need a revival. So... I've been part in the last several years of, of arenas of people praying, up to 100,000 people in arena praying and fasting. And, and there were, even last May, there were 50,000 groups that met in civic locations across the United States praying for revival. And so there's a lot of people praying for that. But the difficulty is I, I don't think people will know when revival hits. I mean, we're out here in Texas. I'm a cowboy. We've got a ranch. And when we have drought, we pray for rain, and we know when the rain hits because we see it. But we don't know when revival hits. And so historically, what you find in revival is it's not what we think it is. Uh, Revival usually is going on during times of pretty intense conflict and and times of of great tension. Um, For example, the Second Great Awakening, 
meant all this, all the riots and all the things that were going on over abolition. It was the church who was leading the abolition call, folks like Reverend Charles Finney. And there were so many on the other side that were pro-slavery and racist, and they would attack the Christians and fight. And it was it was it was some, a lot of violence. Elijah Lovejoy, a preacher, got killed for his stand uh, standing up against slavery. So it, it's it's that's but that was right in the middle of a revival. We call that the Second Great Awakening, the First Great Awakening. Oh my goodness, we had all sorts of conflicts. We had the French and Indian Wars, and and so it's not like a time of peace and a time when everything is nice. There's a lot of of conflict that goes on because what you find is there's a conflict between a biblical worldview and a very secular worldview, and, and secular folks don't go away just because we have better ideas. And so there's a lot of, and it's not always a violent conflict. The media and what the media does and what they did, you know, in, in the first great awakening, the second great awakening, the third great awakening, the turn of the century revivals, media was vicious. I mean, they just were attacking all sorts of folks. So I, I really think that, that we're in a position of revival right now. I think we have been probably for 15 years. The thing about revivals historically is nobody knew they were in a revival until after it was over. And historians wrote about it later said, hey, I think George Whitfield probably was in a revival. Let's call that the first great awakening. And, and Charles Finney's second great awakening. They, they just don't recognize it at the time. So having said that, what you find about revivals is they occur locally. We think of national revivals sweeping the nation, and it looks like that, but that's only because you had revivals throughout all the local communities. In the case of George Whitfield, he preached 18,000 sermons, 34 years, 80 percent. Imagine this. This is from 1730 to 1780. Eighty percent of all Americans physically heard George Whitfield preach a sermon. That's incredible. So how many communities do you have to be in? It's incredible. But think of how many little tiny communities he had to be in for everybody to hear him. Because you didn't, you didn't all rush somewhere. You're on horseback. You, you can't travel all that far. It's not like he was having stadiums with 100,000. He was being in this city, and here's 20 people, and here's 50, and here's 500, and here's 3,000, and here's 28. So it, it was all local revivals that turned into a national revival. And you had a lot of other preachers we never talk about doing things in their local communities. And the same with the American Revolution. We didn't Amer- win the American Revolution because George Washington took command. We won the American Revolution because we won enough local battles to create a national victory. George Washington was there to fill in the gaps where we didn't have local help. But the Battle of Lexington, the Battle of Concord, the Battle of the Road to Boston, the Battle of Bunker Hill, the Battle of Calpins, the, the Battle of Kings Mountain, these were all local communities going out and fighting the battles. Washington was there if we needed something big, if we needed Yorktown or Monmouth or whatever. He stepped in. But so many battles are won at the local level. So all that to say, you got to get a local focus. And what keeps us from doing that today is the way we look at media. Uh, we all have our media favorites. You know, if you're kind of on the left, you like the CNNs and the MSNBCs or whatever. If you're on the right, you kind of used to like Fox. Not everybody does anymore. But you got Newsmax and you got the Victory Channel. And you've got Epic Times and all these others. So we get our news. But what happens is we get national news. We're not finding out what's happening in Jacksboro, Texas, or Mobile, Alabama, or Yukon, Oklahoma. We see nationally, and so we're always thinking nationally. We're always seeing national problems, and as a result, we're paralyzed. I'm extremely connected uh, in, in the political community. Uh, you know, several White House and presidents and, and, and members of Congress, and I'm texting back and forth all the time with members of Congress, House and Senate, and you know what? I, I didn't have any ability to change any outcome in the election. I couldn't change anything that happened when, when they read the electoral votes. I couldn't get the Supreme Court. I know Supreme Court justices. I couldn't get them to pick up the case. I can't do it, and I'm, I'm well-connected. So what does that do for everybody else who's not well-connected? We feel paralyzed. We can't do anything. 
that's because we've got a national focus. If you turn your attention to local stuff, if you win your local community, and if we win local communities, we will win the national war. There's no question. And I'm talking culture war. I'm not talking guns and ammo. I'm, I'm talking culture war. So one of the things you do is you start focusing on local. Uh, you may re- recall that the Obama administration back six years ago said, hey, here's the deal. Um, if you get any federal funds in your school district, you're not going to have locker rooms or you're not going to have bathrooms that are gender-specific. We're all going to be one gender. And we go, that's terrible. Well, that came out of a local school district in Texas. Fort Worth School District is the one who implemented that policy, and then Obama picked it up and made it national. If we had had control of Fort Worth, that never would have come out of here. And so, so much of what goes on were local policies that get nationalized. We need to win the local battles. So we need people looking right now and saying, you know, with all this nonsense that's coming down the school, 1619 Project, not teach anything in history, i got to get on the school board. i got to find people to get on the school board. Hey, with all that's going to be ch- coming through the Department of Commerce and everything else, I need to be on city council. I, I need to be there where we can protect these rights and freedoms and all the constitutional rights we have. We have to start thinking that way. And probably the final thing I'll throw out is we have to start thinking transgenerationally. We keep waiting for professionals to fix the problems. And what you need to do is you need to find someone and help them understand and how to think the things that they're not getting taught in school anymore. I don't care how young you are, how old you are, you need to find someone younger than you. If you're 18-year-old, find a 13-year-old. If you're 65, find somebody 47. And help think through stuff. Help, help teach them about socialism. Help teach them what that is. Help teach them about the biblical view of economics and the free market system. Help them understand history. Help them understand World War II and what it was about. Tell them about the Holocaust. All these things are not getting done. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. You start doing it with people you know. And if every one of us were to take and mentor one person, that would be twice as many next year. And let, let's say that there's only 25% of us. Well, next year that would be 50% of us. In two years we would be 100% of the nation. So instead of waiting for somebody to fix all the problems on a massive level, let's just every one of us pick someone that we can help train and teach and mentor and be a good friend to and, and kind of help disciple in the way that Jesus did with his disciples, talk with them, help them think right. So thinking locally and thinking in terms of training someone younger than we are, that's where this thing's going to get healthy again. Well, Dave, we have uh, about three minutes, and I just want to – I appreciate so much you being on today, and I just uh, – I want you to speak to this as we go out. When I, I lead groups to Israel, and I, I love going up to Caesarea Philippi because it was at Caesarea yeah. Philippi where Jesus said to his disciples – the gates of Hades or gates of hell will not prevail and gates are defensive. And I really believe he was telling his disciples there, the gospel is offensive. You go on offense and I appreciate so much you bringing that up in your message. Just take two minutes real quick and talk about that and how we failed with the church with that moving forward, how we can change. Yeah. We have to be offensive minded. That's what Jesus, talks about. It's what Proverbs talks about, Proverbs 21, 22. A wise man attacks the city of the mighty and tears down their stronghold. We're supposed to be on offense. Uh, one of the great lessons out of the Bible is Satan goes about as a roaring lion, and a lion is a fearsome beast, called the king of beasts, the king of the jungle. There's, there's, He doesn't have a predator per se. He's at the top of the heap, and he lives on savannas in Africa. And when a lion roars, you can hear him up to five miles away. Now, I've had parents yell at their kids before, but you can't hear them two blocks away. A lion, you can hear five miles away. And what happens is when the lion roars, animals start scattering. They're scared, and they run away, and they get defensive, and they want to hide. 
And the way it works is a lion is a very the, – the male lion is loud, has a big voice, but he's very slow. He's not a good hunter. The females are quiet. They're not the ones that roar, and they are fearsome hunters, and they are vicious. And so what happens is the females will get at one end of the savanna. The male lion will get at the other end of the savanna. He roars. Everything runs from him, and they run right into the waiting arms of all the female lions who have a feast. So if anybody would learn to run to the roar, if they would run at the lion, he's the slowest. He's the easiest one to get around. He's the one that's not going to give you near as much trouble. And we've been on defense so long that when somebody roars on social media or somebody roars at a school board meeting or somebody roars at whatever, we don't want to get yelled at. And so we just kind of clam up and hide ourselves, and that's the wrong direction to go. You need to run to the roar. When you hear that noise, that's as a roaring lion. And by the way, we're told in Proverbs that the righteous are bold as a lion. That's us. We're, we're supposed to be the ones that, that are the bold ones. So we've got to get that courage back. We have to regain that backbone. We're told in Hebrews 10:28, God has no pleasure in those that back up. Uh, we don't need to be backing up. We need to have backbone and stand and stand firm and run to the roar, get on the offensive. Well, uh, thank you so much. Uh, one quick request uh, before we go out. How can we pray for wall builders, and how can we pray for you, David? You know, pray for us that we have good discernment. We're at a period of time now where there's so many things popping up in legislatures. We need to know what the right solutions are. So we would appreciate prayer for wisdom. We would also appreciate prayer for favor. When God grants favors, all sorts of doors open, and those would be two really good prayers for wall builders. Wisdom and favor. Well, thank you for joining us today. You've been listening to David Barton from Wall Builders. And, uh, you know, uh, Dave, I just want to say we really enjoyed having your son on a few years ago and uh, appreciate you both making time to be on SWAT radio and speak to our audience and what you do. And so we will pray for you and tell, uh, tell your son we said hello and keep being spiritual warriors for truth out there in Texas, okay? And, Doug, thanks for all you do, brother. We appreciate everyone standing on those front lines like you do. Thank well, you, brother. Well, thank you. Hey, if you want to listen to this or any past program, go to SWATradio.com. Share it with your friends. Tomorrow, Taylor and Anthony Johnson will be in here, so tune in to SWAT Radio. I hope you have a good evening. And remember, like David said, run to the roar. Run to the roar. Don't run away from it. Keep being spiritual warriors out there. This is SWAT Radio. We'll be back tomorrow. If you missed a SWAT radio broadcast this week and would like to hear any show in its entirety, then go to SWATradio.com. Click on Past Shows, where you can listen to the broadcast. Also, if you're looking for a band of brothers that gather around God's Word to be a part of, then go to SWATradio.com and email one of our hosts, and they can get you plugged in to one of the local SWAT Bible studies. Tune in next time to explore how SWAT radio is strengthening spiritual